Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Would you stand with me this morning for a reading from the Word of God? This is John chapter 1 and beginning in verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So, I love biographies. I love reading history. Um, for those of you who don't know, part of our more recent story, Allison and I were from, uh, 19, uh, from September 2019 until the end of February of this year living in Durham, England, which is in the northeast corner of the UK. It's a yeah, about three or four hours north of London, about an hour and a half-ish south of Edinburgh. It's a lovely part of the country. It's very agrarian. It actually reminded us a lot of home because there's wheat fields and uh, we lived about a mile down the road from a, a farm that had cattle and sheep and so we got to see the, the young lambs last spring and it was really cool. Um, and we learned a lot about different people who live there. Biographies of, of Christians, some of whom, uh, for you church historians, might know a couple of these names like Cuthbert and Bede. They were literally our next door neighbors as they lived in the, their tombs are in the cathedral just down the road. Um, and I love reading about people from scripture when we get a little bit of insight into their lives. And so if you follow along with the daily lectionary readings, for those of you who do uh, morning prayer or, or do vespers, uh, you know that we go through the daily office readings. And in the last week, the gospel, one of the gospel readings has been Jesus calling his 12. And so there are some of the names that we know. If you, like me, learned the, the song in Sunday school or maybe in VBS, there were 12 disciples, Jesus called to help them. Anybody? Simon, Peter, Andrew. That's okay. I break into songs spontaneously. Just, I'm just hedging you up. I'm a music professor, so it's bound to happen at some point. Um, just brace yourselves. Um, and we get to actually hear some of these apostles speak. We get to hear Peter. I mean, Peter maybe said too much. We don't know. Peter's going to get, a, I mean, Peter gets a lot of guff from the pulpit. I have a feeling that a lot of us are going to have to apologize to Peter when we get to heaven because we may not have done anything different had we been in his shoes. We hear from John. We hear from Nathaniel. We hear from Philip, like Nathaniel, who said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm from, Alice and I are from Inman McPherson area, and I sometimes feel that people think that about our area. It's like, can anything good really come out of that area? Small town, back, backwater, you know, sort of a place. We have Philip, who's the one who famously said, how can we feed so many people off of five loaves and two fishes? And Jesus is like, wait and see. 
And then we get to hear from uh, the person who is part of the subject of our uh, gospel reading today, Andrew. And if you go into the annuals of, if you go back in church history, Andrew has this really fun nickname. He's called the Protoclatos. Sounds kind of mysterious, doesn't it? Simply means the first called. Proto meaning first, Kletos meaning, meaning the one who was called. And uh, do you guys have that uh, painting back there? So I found this while I was uh, doing a little bit of research. Um, and uh, it is called, uh, Jesus Calls His Disciples. It's not a really complex title. Um, it's by Ottavio Vanini, and if you, if you can see in the foreground, it's John the Baptist is there with the staff, Andrew, the guy with the, with the long white beard, how I normally look, um, and then the guy who we don't even ever know his name in the upper right corner, and then Jesus. Just as a little side art history note, whenever you, often when you see the color red, it's the color of divinity. So you notice that Jesus has it close to his skin indicating his divinity and John has it covering his outer garment showing that he is clothed in divinity. That's your art history lesson for the day. And so you can see very clearly that John's having this side conversation with these guys and pointing to, to Jesus. And that's where I wanna pick this up is this idea of what it means to have, to be this, what I'm just dubbing this first called life and you may be thinking, well, I've been a Christian for years, um, and so I'm a little bit past it. Not yet, but wait, there's more. So we're gonna look at this idea of calling and the outlying of that. So very first thing, in verse 35, it says, the following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. So we have to ask ourselves what was happening on the following day, or the previous day. So if you bump up to verse 29, it says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about. Wait, the next day. So back up one more time. Verse 19, and this is John's testimony. So what we see is that John has these three consecutive days of revelation. Three days, think about it, three days. So on the first day, John's testimony is this. He said, he's being interrogated by some of the leading Jewish leaders, and they ask him who he is. Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no. We've seen this depicted up here on stage. Kent so wonderfully playing the role of John the Baptist. At least, well, he's got the more impressive beard. Um, but at least our beards are the same color, so we've got that going for us. And John says, no, I am the voice who's crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And the Pharisees who had been there, he said, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophets, then what right do you have to baptize? And John says, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd, right here in the crowd, is the one, someone you don't recognize. It says, Through his min though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a servant and untie the straps of his sandals. And this encounter takes place in Bethany in an area east of the Jordan River. So day one, John is out baptizing by the Jordan River. The next day, verse, 30, or verse 29, the next day Jesus, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me. So John going to the previous day, and he says, I didn't recognize him as the Messiah. 
but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed. And then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I did not know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one. So day one, John is down here testifying, I am not the Messiah, I am not the prophet, I am the voice calling in the wilderness, but he's right here. He's right here, the Messiah. I don't know who he is yet, but it'll be revealed. The second day, he says, as he points Jesus out, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one. That brings us to our passage. The following day. So it's taken three days to get to this point. Again, three days. Just put it together. Three days. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And I don't, it doesn't tell us from Scripture, but I wonder how many people were with him in that second day. In the first day, he's got all the crowds that are out by the Jordan River as he baptizes it. There's hordes of people coming, coming to repentance, coming to a knowledge of who Christ is, coming to this revelation. The second day, we don't know, but I've wondered if it was like a group like this, down to a smaller group, and then finally over here, it's John standing with two disciples, two of his followers, along with. And kind of like the painting says, it says, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, and as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. Now just, just use your whole imagination with me and imagine the scene here. So we're out by the Jordan River and John says, he's here. The next day Jesus walks by and John says, that's the guy, that's the Messiah, that's the one I was talking about. No takers? No takers. First day we didn't know, but he was there. And we all heard the voice. If you look in the other gospels, it says, the voice of the Lord spoke from heaven. We do it in the Easter play. And everybody heard it, but nobody responded. And the second day, John's standing there, and I gotta imagine he wasn't just like having a conversation with himself. I do that, I talk to myself. I'm an audio learner, so we kinda do that sometimes to process things out. Ask Allison, she'll tell you. So he's talking, and nobody paid attention. And finally, they're standing on a street corner. Again, use your whole imagination. They've just walked outside of the coffee shop. It's lunchtime. What do you guys want to do? I hear there's a new couscous bar just down the street. Where do you want, you, you, lunch? Anybody, anybody? And Jesus goes walking by, and John says, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the scripture says that the two disciples immediately went and followed him. And notice that John does not stop them. Now then, I told the last service, I, uh, I'm a teacher, and I love having a full classroom. I mean, I'd, if, if Allison was the only one who showed up this morning, I would have preached to her. I mean, she's already heard it, but I still would have preached to her because I just like to teach. But I like having a full classroom, and it, it was always kind of sad for me when a student would have to say, I really want to take your class, however, I've got this one that I need for my major. And I'm just like, oh, come on. Who really needs an industrial psychology class when you're taking a psych degree? You want to take you know, guitar lessons, right? Come on. But John doesn't stop them because he knows what his role is. He knows what that responsibility is. He said it himself on the first day. I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I'm the one who's supposed to be pointing the direction to who Jesus is. And John literally points the direction. Look, there he is. And so when the two leave him, he doesn't, he doesn't pitch a fit. He doesn't say, doggone it. 
lost two more. What am I going to do now? They just take off after Jesus. They have a revelation of who Jesus is, and they respond to that revelation. And in verse 38, it says that Jesus looked around and saw them following. Again, holy imagination. So Jesus is walking along. And I, I got to imagine he was, I mean, it said he saw them following. So you wonder if he, he did one of these things. He wasn't doing it for himself. He already, he already knew how this all played out. He was doing it for them. Sometimes God does it for your benefit. He already knows the story, but he does it for our benefit. So Jesus is walking along and he glances, you know, he looks and he sees who's following him and he stops and he turns and he asks them, what do you want? It can sound like kind of a rude question, especially if we don't enunciate properly. What do you want? What do you want? I mean, we're used to having it a little gruff. What do you want? But Jesus looks at them and says, what do you want? And they, in a very rabbinical and Jeopardy-like fashion, answer the question with, in the form of a question. And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Has God ever asked you what do you want? Has God ever asked you what you're seeking? There's numerous examples in scriptures when Jesus says, what do you want? What do you need? Again, not for his benefit, but for our benefit. If we understand what we need, what the root problem is, it's a very cut and dried question. It's a simple question. What do you want? Jesus looked at one of the many people that he healed, and he was like, what do you want? The blind man, what do you want? Isn't that obvious? I'm... Part of you don't, may not know my testimony, I was legally blind in this eye for two months with a condition known as optic neuritis and couldn't see. Now I've got 97% of my vision back in this eye. I have occasional problems. But I literally, I can sympathize with the blind man of saying, God, I want to see. It's a simple question. What do you want? And they respond and they say, where are you staying? Where are you staying? And in verse 39, he says, come and see. Come and see. And they went and followed Jesus. In this last however many months it's been now, you lose track after a while. It's not always been easy for us to come together and see. Our, um, what we call our home away from home church, St. Nick's in, in Durham, England, um, if all things go according to plan, uh, a week from today, they will be able to meet together for the first time without any COVID restrictions since March 15th of 2020. That was the last time before we came home that we stepped in a church for Sunday morning worship before we moved back home. And so for the first time in however many months that equals out to, they will enter back in. They will actually be able to come and see together without any restrictions. I am so excited right now. I'll cry if I think too much more about it because they truly were our our family over there. And to finally see them get to experience what we ourselves have been experiencing for a while now, it it just, I'm I'm so jazzed. I was watching services this morning and I was just like, the energy was just there. I was just like, y'all can't wait for next week, can you? 
Y'all can't wait for next week. I mean, it's gonna be so cool. We, when we first moved there, I mean, they were packed. They were packed in there. We get, their sanctuary maybe sat 250, and we would pack it out. 6.30 evening, Sunday service, we'd pack it out. And it's so, gonna be so awesome that they can finally come and see. And so Jesus looks at them and says, you gotta come and see. We're able to come and see. Sometimes revelation is positional. Sometimes revelation means you go somewhere. There's a long tradition in Christianity of going someplace to meet with God. Moses and the people of Israel, they were out in the desert and they went to a particular place to meet with God. Now, you can meet with God anywhere, okay? Let's just be clear about that. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. You can meet with God in your car, in the shower, or here. God is no respecter of place. He will meet with you wherever he can, wherever he will, wherever you'll listen. Sometimes there's something to be said about coming and seeing. And so Jesus says, come and see. And it says, and it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. I wonder what they talked about. Again, sometimes these are the minds that fill my thoughts when I'm working on this stuff. I wonder what they talked about. I wonder if they talked about when they were kids. I wonder if they talked about what their families were like. I wonder if Jesus asked Andrew and this other disciple, so what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Wouldn't that be a great question coming from Jesus at this point? So what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I'll make you an offer. You can't, no. Um, I wonder what they talked about. And as I was doing my study for this this week, I, I had a little bit of a revelation myself. Again, the gospel readings for the past couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, it was the end of Luke, the road to Emmaus. And Jesus meets up with these two guys on the road to Emmaus. They, we know the name of one. And they don't know who he is. And they walk and they talk. And it was later in the evening and they stayed and Jesus spoke to them and spoke to them and spoke to them. And here we have, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, two people who don't know who he is, and they go to a place late in the day, and they sit, and they talk, and they talk, and they talk. Sometimes the only way to get this is to sit, and to listen, and to fellowship, and to talk, and to work through this. Sometimes the way that this happens, it is that come and see. It is that common experience. It is that coming to a place where you're like, well, okay, this morning I was hanging out with John, and now I'm, I'm sitting in this room, at this restaurant with this guy that I didn't know before this day started, and he's speaking the word of God to me, and he is divine appointment, whatever you want to call it, whatever jargon you want to use. I wonder what they talked about. In verse 40, it says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, the Christ. This is, he didn't say we found Jesus. Jesus would not have, would not have registered. It would be just like naming somebody, like a common name. It's like, we found, if you went up to somebody and said, we found John. We found Bob. Bob who? 
You know, Andrew goes to Simon and says, we found Bob. It's like, Bob who? Who's, should I know this Bob? But he goes to him and says, we have found the Messiah. And let's just be clear here. Jesus found them. Jesus found them. It was, it was, a, it was a popular thing back in, and I mean, I don't mind revealing my age, but it was a popular thing back in the 90s of this whole idea of I found Jesus and you know, chasing after God or whatever it might be. But the reality is that God is always there. God is there at the very beginning. God is there at the very end. God is outside of time. God is with you the whole time that you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. If you're running towards him, quote unquote, or running away from him, quote unquote. Scripture says that if I make my bed in the highest heights, he's there. If I make my bed in the depths of of the sea, he is there as well. There's no place that we can go that is distant from God and from the love of God. And so Andrew goes to his brother, Simon, and says, we found the Messiah, the anointed one, the name that is above every name, the wonderful, beautiful name, the one that can remove burdens and destroy yokes. When Jesus sits down in the, in the synagogue in Luke chapter four, and the scroll is open to the prophet Isaiah, and it's handed to Jesus, and he reads this portion that talks about The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me, there's that word again, to declare freedom from the captives, to remove bondages, to destroy yokes, to recover sight to the blind, sight to the blind, all these things. And he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so Andrew goes, before this all happens, Andrew goes, we found him. You need to come. And in verse 42, it says, then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Now, if I, I don't know the translation out of the Greek, but in the Hebrew, that word brought basically means that you have to pick them up and carry them. If you look at Mephibosheth, go back to the story of King David, and it says with Mephibosheth, they had to bring him. Mephibosheth was crippled because they dropped him when he was a child and his legs broke and they weren't properly treated. And so he could not walk. So he had to be brought, lifted up and carried to King David. So there's this idea of being strongly convinced to come. It's, it's, the, it's the, come on, you gotta meet this guy. Come on, you gotta. It's trying to drag, and Peter's like, Simon's like, I don't know, I got nets to mend. I'm supposed to go to the grocery store and pick up stuff tonight. You know, my mother-in-law's not been feeling well and, and we gotta do stuff for her. No, it's, Andrew's like, you have to come meet this man. And so it says that Andrew brought Simon and it says that Jesus looked intently at him. Now, I'm not a parent, but I have students. I have nieces and nephews and they've done stuff that has not pleased me. And so I've given them the look. You know the look? Parents, you know the look. Spouses, you better know the look. I don't think that Jesus gave him that kind of look, that kind of look that, you know, he looks right through you. I don't think he gave him that kind of look. It says that he looked intently at him. So it was a focused gaze. It was a focused look. Looked him right in the eyes. And I, again, hold the imagination. I think that it was a look of love. I think it was a look of compassion. But there's also a look that when you look at somebody with a certain amount of confidence in them and you know what they're capable of, 
We've had to communicate a lot with our eyes over the last 18, 24 months. Let me tell you, in a, in a place where they struggle sometimes to understand this accent, I had to communicate a lot with my eyes. And Jesus looks at Peter intently. And he says, Simon, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which is Peter. Again, Jesus already knows this. But Jesus looks at Peter and says, I know that this is the way that the world has looked at you. And if you've heard Bishop Q talk about this before, you know that Simon has this kind of meaning or inclination of something that is, shall we say, shifty, or maybe a little too flexible, or maybe not strong enough. But he looks at Peter and he says, you're gonna be the rock. You're gonna be solid. You're gonna be strong. You're gonna be the one upon whom things happen. And say what you want about Peter. I mean, yeah, he shot his mouth off, but you did too. Yeah, he cut some guy's ear off, but, well, I hope you haven't cut a guy's ear off. But he did things, but you've done things. But this same Peter, who got ahead of the game and said, hey, we're all here, we should build buildings, and we should just camp right here in this revelation of God. The same Peter who went and took a sword to a guy's ear. The same Peter who denied Christ is also the same guy who on the day of Pentecost stood up in front of a whole bunch of people and said, this is who Jesus is. And he's been killed, but he's been raised from the dead. And upon his confession, upon his proclamation, 3,000 people come to the saving power of God. And it's the birth of the church, Acts chapter two, check me out. And so Jesus, looking intently at Peter, doesn't do it for his own sake, he does it for Peter's sake. When's the last time we looked somebody in the eye and said, you're better than that. I know what you're capable of. It's like, I'll give you a new name if I have to. I'll call you by something different if I have to. God looks at a man named Abram and changes his name to Abraham. An old man who, in the natural, there's no way that he's ever gonna father a single baby, let alone a nation of people. And God changes his name. Jacob, as his uh, wife dies giving birth, she names her son, if you do the translation, son of my sorrow. We got no kids, but we chose baby names just in case. And let me tell you, son of my sorrow was not on the top of any list that we had. (laughs) So he changes it to son of my right hand my favored, honored, chosen one. Sometimes it might take you looking yourself in the mirror and just giving yourself your own holy nickname just so that you get this point. That God looks at you and says, there is something greater in there than you know, than you give yourself credit for, than you are aware of. And again, it's a look of love. It might be that intent intense gaze, but it's that look of love. So I've been kind of rolling around these three ideas of what a first called life may look like. So this first idea is revelation. And so at the beginning of the passage, we see that it took a couple days. Has God ever repeated himself to you? Hello, my name is Ryan, and God has had to repeat himself to me. 
Trust me, the first time when, when the Lord began to speak to the two of us and say, you know what, moving to England sounds like a really good idea. She's, I won't tell you what she said. And I was like, okay, I know I just got this hearing aid, but um, could you say that again? Could you repeat that and say it in a language that I understand? Has God ever had to say it again? Has God had to put it a different way for you? Has he had to reveal it? Gideon was threshing wheat, hiding out from the Midianites, just trying to make enough food for his family. And the angel of the Lord stands before him and says, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon does the, you talking to me? There's nobody else here, so you must be talking to me. Abraham, sitting, uh, it's appropriate for, for the weather we've been having, he's sitting in the entrance of his tent on a hot day in the Oaks of Mamre, sitting out there, glass of iced tea, and three strangers, you know, he's just trying to stay cool, and three strangers appear in the distance, and they tell him about what's going to happen, what's gonna transpire in his life. Moses was doing his job tending sheep on the backside of the desert, and all of a sudden the bush begins to burn, and the scriptures say, he says to himself, I will turn aside now and see this thing. And I'd be like, if there was a tree ablaze out there on K61, I wouldn't be turning aside to see it. I'd be calling 911. My cousin's a fire captain here in town. I'd be saying, yo, you got a fire out here? You need to take care of it. Pronto. The prophet Samuel, as a child, was trying to fall asleep. And he hears the Lord speak to him. Once, twice, three times. Revelation doesn't always come where and when we think it should. It does not always happen. It won't always be flashes of lightning and choirs of angels. Sometimes you'll be standing on the street corner minding your own business. And somebody will say the third time, the fourth time, the fifth, however many times it takes. There's the Lamb of God. So a revelation. And the second thing is a response. So if I gave you my car key and said, here's my car, it's yours to drive, go for it. And you just took those keys and you said, that's nice. Put it on the shelf, let them collect dust. Let that car, well, they'd probably tow it if you let it sit out there too long. But that car would sit there and it would rust, tires would go flat, it would decay and it would lose its ability. It would lose its intent, and that revelation that you had would die without a response. Andrew and the other disciple, they have a revelation of who Jesus is, but then they have to respond. Faith without works is. So in that moment, they heard, not once, not twice, third time, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and they go, they respond to who Jesus is. Now, as I often tell my students, your mileage may vary. I will not presume that what's true for my life is true for your life and how God speaks to you. So as an educator, um, we talk a lot about communication and how we learn. So there's stuff like visual learners. Allison's a visual learner, I'm an audio learner. We've had to learn how to learn with each other and how to communicate properly. This is, this is just good kind of like life counseling stuff, is learn how people learn. Visual, audio, kinesthetic, read-write. If you remember the book, The Five Love Languages, you've got words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, physical touch, 
for you personality type people, there's the Enneagram, there's the Myers-Briggs, there's the four temperaments. If we're so different and if we're so up about trying to learn our personality types and how we communicate with people, why would we think that God would communicate the same to everybody? Amen. All right. That's okay. You can talk to me. I, told, I, I would tell my students for years, I'd lob a question out there and I'd wait. Five seconds, seven, ten. And I remember looking at a class and saying, guys, for fun, I go to monasteries and I hang out with monks and nuns. I'm used to sitting in silence. So if you want to wait for the next five minutes of sitting here in silence, I'll just be here praying until one of you answers my question. And you have to answer before you leave. <laughs> oh, I love teaching. But why would we think that God would reveal things identically for every person? If it took twice for Andrew to get it, it's okay if it takes you twice, or three, or four. He might use a picture. Allison's a visual person, so she usually sees things that reveal God to her. I'm an audio person. I'm an audio learner. That's why music is such a big thing for me, and I realize it's not that for everybody. I get it. But it's why even just in that moment when we were singing, I needed just a moment because I was caught in the music and I was hearing the spirit move in the music. Bishop Hughes uh, taught a few weeks ago about, and it happened, and it happened. I mean, we've just seen, there was a revelation one day, two days, three, it took three days to get to the, and it happened moment. We have to remember that there's always something working behind the scenes for that instant moment. Somebody had to be somewhere at some time to do a thing. They weren't just standing on a random street corner over there. It may have seemed random to them, but it's exactly where they needed to be in that moment. And so I wonder about what goes down, what happens behind the scenes that we don't even know about. We may not know about it or hear about it, but we get the revelation, and then we respond, not knowing all the background that has gone into it. And finally, a proclamation. So Andrew goes to Peter and says, we've found the Messiah. Now, unless Andrew says, where are you staying? The previous sentence, it just said, they said, so we don't know who said it. Or if they said it in unison, that would be kind of cool. Two people randomly come up to you and ask you a question in stereo. That'd be kind of funny. So unless Andrew said that, this is the only line that we hear Andrew say, as far as I'm aware, in the entire gospel record. We have found the Messiah. It's a simple statement. It's a simple statement. But Andrew's proclamation brings Peter, who preaches the first sermon of the church, it has wide-reaching impacts. Just think about it. God would have found another way to do it, but our story is the church wouldn't be the same if Andrew hadn't responded. Stephen, if you go back into the book of Acts, Stephen is one of the first who are called by that new church to be a leader. And we read in the book of Acts that Stephen is taken outside of the city and he's stoned for his declaration of who Christ is. He's stoned for his proclamation. And it says that the men who did the stoning laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. 
And so Saul is standing there mining the coats while Stephen's over there proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and that he sees him sitting at the right hand of the Father to the glory of God and declaring who Christ is. And all the while, Paul is hearing this. Saul, not yet Paul. I've got to imagine that something that Stephen said, that revelation, that response, and that proclamation of who Jesus was, that Stephen was declaring with his last breaths on this earth, somehow made their way into the hearts of Paul. Somehow communicated that idea to Paul. So let me be a little more practical. St. Francis of Assisi said, let us preach by our deeds. What have you done this past week? You don't have to answer out loud. But it's not a rhetorical question. I want you to think about it. What have you done this last week by your deeds? What shouldn't you have done? She's right here. She could tell you all my dirty laundry from the last week. So I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to anybody. Brennan Manning said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. What are you doing when you walk out this door? What are you doing when you walk into your house? Or the store? Or the coffee shop? Can I just tell you to tell that server thank you? Ask him how their day is going. But that doesn't necessarily share the gospel, does it? Jesus said what? People would know their disciples by our, by our love. And Jesus said that when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And they said, when did we ever do any of that? We've never seen you in any of those states. And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it as unto me. If we go out of here and we just let this be you know, just something that we've heard, then it's like leaving those keys there. It's like letting that car, that revelation, die out there. It does not have to be complicated. Let me tell you, as somebody who has spent the most, uh, most of his career thus far uh, researching and teaching, there's this big big deal with academia that you always have to have the latest, the most cutting edge, the one that uses the most words and the fanciest words. But let me tell you, it's in simple words. God is love. God loves you. We've got this little um, uh, flip calendar on our sink at the farm we share with Allison's sister. And at the bottom of it this week, it has our, a very famous line, but inverted. We're so used to, Jesus loves me, this I know. But the line says, Jesus knows me, this I love. Let me just boil it down to real simple stuff. It does not have to be standing up in front of a group of people talking for however long I've been going now to get the point across. If it is not something that will cause a revelation and a response in people, that will meet them where they're at, that will speak their language. I learned real quick when the, when the pandemic started, I'd have a mask on and I'd get on the bus to get my bus ticket and I would, I would tell the bus driver in my Great Plains accent that I wanted a university day pass of my bus pass 
for the city and if I could get an adult day pass for my wife as well. And they looked at me like, huh? Again, this is all coming through a mask. But, if I, and I'm not going to demonstrate, if I affected my, my Northeast British accent, which I got down pretty well before the time we left, and I asked for the exact same thing, I spoke to them in their own language. I spoke to them in a way that they would understand, in simple words, not because they needed simple words, but because it communicated exactly what needed to be said. God is love. God loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus knows me, this I love. Then they were able to understand perfectly. May I suggest that this is not a complicated gospel. And even if it's not a complicated gospel, if it takes you one time, two times, three times to get a revelation in order to make you respond, God is patient, God is not going anywhere, and he will not leave you behind. This is not a competition. Let me just tell you, this is not a competition. I made a joke about it at the, at the beginning of, well, I'm not Q, I'm not Sean, I'm not Heather. And trust me, this, those are tough acts to follow. But it's not a competition. This is a revelation of who Christ is and the simple fact that the dialogue, if you go back and you read this, the conversation between Jesus and Andrew and Peter that we have recorded, it is not complicated. It is meant to speak to the heart of who we are and who Jesus created us to be. So this morning, we come to a point where we take this revelation, this response, and this proclamation, and we're gonna put a little form to it now. This point of the service that we call communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's table, whatever you wanna call it, this is a point where revelation can happen. This is a place where a response happens. We respond by coming. Walking down an aisle is a big deal to a lot of people. But let me tell you, as you walk down the aisle, as you come forward to receive, that's a response. And it doesn't even require you to say anything. But it's a response, it's a turning. You know, the Greek word for repentance, metanoia, it means literally to turn the opposite direction, to go 180 degrees in the other direction. And it's a simple action, but it's one that has life-impacting results when you turn to Christ. And so in this moment, we're gonna take simple things. This would have been on the table of every Jewish meal. You've, you all have heard this before more eloquently than I'm putting it now. But this is a simple meal. And I truly believe that this is a place of revelation. I don't do this just, this is, this is off the script, I don't do this just because we have to. I do this because Jesus said, number one, as often as you come together, you should do this meal. But number two, I do it because this is a place of revelation. Sometimes revelation is positional. You see it. Some of you come down to the front here. Why? Because you think you're closer to God at that point? No because it is a place in which we can move to. It's that response to the move of God and that revelation, that positional revelation. And so too, we go to the table of the Lord as a place of response, as a place of revelation. And I'm of the inclination that you should celebrate communion as often as you can. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. 
I also believe that there's something that happens when we gather together as the body of Christ around one table, because one day we're going to gather around one table, the entire church, at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We're just practicing. We're just practicing. But we, I encourage you, as we come to this moment, this is a time in which with just the same fervor as we had as we got to that third song and the end of our time of singing, I encourage you, I implore you to come to the table with that same expectation. This is a point where burdens can be removed. There's a reason we call this the altar. I mean, people talk about this being the altar, but that's the altar. This is a place where yokes can be destroyed. This is a place where our revelation, our response, and our proclamation all equal. Because here, we declare that Jesus is Lord. Because here, we declare that He is our Messiah. Here, we declare that He is our King. And it's here that He puts His arm around us and declares that we are His brothers and sisters and that God is our Father. So as we come to this point, again, I encourage you, come with a heart of expectation. In this moment, Jesus says, what do you want? And now Jesus is here. Now the Holy Spirit is here. But still the question remains, what do you want? This is not a genie. You don't rub this and get whatever instantly. It might take some work. It might take some time. It might take some sitting at four o'clock in the afternoon when you had other plans. But let me encourage you to come with hearts and minds expecting that God will say something. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Time.